Abigail. And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. All right. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Uh, welcome to those watching online, tuning in with us. Whether you're in the room or online, thank you for prioritizing this and making time for this. Um, it's important to give God our best and our first in the beginning of our week and the beginning of everything we have. So thanks for being here. I'm excited. I was reminded this morning as we were worshiping of uh, the psalm where they say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I mean, worship was just so powerful this morning. I know it, it was moving in my life and heart, and uh, I, I think God was honored and glorified by it. So thank you. I know somebody shared, actually, in the church, they shared a meme the other day that was like, whenever somebody says, good morning, uh, and then they're like, you can do better than that, say it again, good morning, I instantly write that person off, so I won't do that. Um, but good morning, everybody, I'm really glad you're here. Um, we're going to be talking about something that's important to me in my heart this week, something that's important to Abigail's heart. So in 2018, um, we're in the dreaming phases of the church. For those of you who know a little bit about the church's history and story, we're just over one year old. We've been talking about it since 2011, um, but we're like getting very serious about it in 2018. You know, we're, we're dreaming about the name, we're praying about the location, all of those things. And we had this document, this Google Doc that Abigail and I were sharing. And one night we were sitting there and we were praying through things and we were just asking ourselves and talking to God, what are the things that are important to us? What are the things that we feel God is saying are important to this specific church, this local body? What are the things that we need to value and care about? And we wrote down things like dynamic worship and that we're spirit-filled and that we have a culture of honor and all the things we've been preaching for the last few weeks, that we, we serve and we believe in unity and we believe in community and all of these different things. And we wrote down these two words on, in that bullet list. We wrote down uncompromising integrity. We just wrote down uncompromising integrity. That has to be something that marks our church, that is important to us. And that's what I want to talk about this week. And so when I Googled it, I just Googled integrity and started looking at what are some of the world's definitions, what are some of the definitions that Google pops up. And it says honest and truthful, uncompromising, incorruptible, moral uprightness, accuracy in one actions, and wholeness. Um, Pastor Craig Rochelle has a definition that I really like. He says, integrity is when your behaviors and your beliefs are in alignment. When your behaviors and your beliefs are in alignment with what you say matters to you actually plays out in its actions, in your actions. And I think integrity is becoming less and less the norm, or at least like our bar for it is, is going down further. Because I've started to see that people are actually su more surprised by integrity than a lack of it. You know, we're, we're disappointed when we see a lack of integrity, but we're not necessarily surprised. It's become more of the norm. And I don't know if you've ever gotten, when you're checking out, the wrong change handed back to you or something extra. I was at Home Depot, like so many of us, over quarantine months when we were all at home doing extra projects around the house. And I was getting uh, checked out, and the person was scanning the stuff in the cart without taking it out. You know how they have the little gun? And they're like, beep, beep, beep. And they like skipped a couple of things. And I was like, oh, you missed these. And they were kind of surprised. They like looked at me like, oh, okay. And they like scanned them and they're like, thanks. But they were like surprised that I was going to own that and be like, no, I want to pay for those. And I've had that happen other times when you are given the wrong change and you tell them and they're like, you're giving me money back. Our culture has gotten to the point where we're more surprised by integrity than a lack of it. And I think that's sad. I think that hurts the heart of God, and that's not supposed to be the way church is. And, and sadly, the church doesn't look super different than the world in this area. So I want to talk about it today. I want to talk about why it matters to the heart of God and why it should matter to us as his people. 
Um, Samuel, I think, is somebody who modeled this well from the Old Testament. He's a guy who was leading Israel for a time, and he got to the end of his reign, and he had just installed a a king and, and that sort of thing, and he goes before the people, and he's like, do you have anything against me? He has this moment where he's just like, do you have anything you can say? Have I taken anything extra? Have I taken an ox or a donkey? Have I bribed anybody? Does, anything, does anybody have anything they can say against me? This is 1 Samuel chapter 12. I'm just paraphrasing. And they all say, no. You've led uh, us uprightly. You haven't taken anything from us. You've done what you said you were going to do. And that is what I want for all of us. That is what I want for my life. I want to get to the end of my life and say, is there anything that anybody can say against me? And can people can say, well, I didn't like you very much, or I disagreed with you on this thing, but you did what you said you were going to do. Your, your beliefs and your behavior were in alignment with each other. That's my heart. That's what I want so badly. It says that David shepherded with uh, skillful hands and um, upright character is, is one translation. There's, there's a bunch of different ways, and I'm paraphrasing, but the idea is that David had character and competency that he had integrity and skills. I think that if we as followers of Jesus learn to lean into those things, that we need both the actual skills and tools to do what God is calling us to, but also the character to uphold it and do those things, I think the world would begin to look different. Before we jump into our main text and kind of where I'm headed with this message, I wanted to break down three words that come up well, the last one's actually two words, but three different points about integrity. And the first one is wholeness. One of the definitions that comes up when you look up integrity is wholeness. Um, the word integrity has the word integer in it. Uh, integer, if you remember math, some of you are like, oh my gosh, why does he talk about math? Like, well, at least once a month. I like math, okay? We're, we were talking about it last night again. I like math. So math in, in integer is a whole number. Some of you are like, I did not remember that. I remember the word, didn't know what it meant. Integer is a whole number. It's not divided up. So integrity has to do with wholeness. It's that alignment. It's not separating all the different parts of our life. We have the tendency to compartmentalize. We have our work life, our social life, our church life, our spiritual life, our family life, our secret life. We have all of these different lives that we're holding on to, but integrity is the pie that is holding them all together. It's when those lives are all in alignment, when you're the same person in all of those different scenarios. You're not separate pieces. It's the filling in the pie that holds it all together. Integrity has to do with wholeness. It also has to do with authenticity. Authenticity. It's not putting on a mask and being someone you're not. It's not being fake. It's being yourself no matter what. Uh, The word, the opposite of integrity, one word you could come up with is hypocrite. And when you ask the world, when you ask other people who are not followers of Jesus, what do you think of when you think of Christians? This is usually one of their top ten words, if not top three. And that's really sad when you read the studies on it, that one of the things that comes to mind when people think about Christians is hypocrites. They say they believe this, they live differently than that. Their beliefs and their behavior are not in alignment. It's the opposite of integrity. The word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek word hypokritos, hypokritos, and that word came from plays. There would be, I don't know if you remember this in school, those guys who would play like in the Iliad and the Odyssey and all these old Greek plays, they would hold up the mask, you know, and they'd come out for one scene and they'd act somebody out and they'd go back and they'd come out and the same actor would play multiple roles with a different mask on. And that was called hypocritos, where we get our word hypocrite. Hypocrite is putting on different masks with different people living differently in different situations. It's a play actor. 
And it's, it's snuck into our lives so easily. When we think about integrity, we, we don't necessarily think of wholeness. We, we're okay with compartmental in our lives. Or we don't think about authenticity, you know. We're like, we can be a little fake with different people, you know, and that sort of thing. And the third point I had was singular motivation. Not only are you doing the right things, but you're doing them with the right motivations for the right reasons. It's that idea of alignment. Because you can give to charity to impress others, or you can give because it's on your heart. You can pray because you know God hears you, or you can pray because you know others are listening. You can have the right action without the right motivation. And our private life should be consistent with our public life. And the difference between reputation and integrity is that. Reputation is about who others think you are. Integrity is about who you actually are. It's that alignment. Whether or not other people realize it is who are you portraying to be and who you claim to be is that in alignment with your actions and your attitudes. And the Bible has a lot to say about integrity. Sometimes it uses that word. Sometimes it uses phrases like blameless or pure in heart. Over and over we see God talking about people whose character lines up with his character, with what he's calling them to. And so quick, I wanted to give us some benefits of integrity. This isn't an exhaustive list. The Bible talks about this over and over. You'll be blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart. We're going to talk about that. Um, one thing that is a benefit of integrity is that you have a built-in guide when your life is in alignment. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright guides them. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. When we live separate lives, it leads to our destruction. It gives you peace. It helps you leave a legacy. It gives you stability and confidence. Proverbs 10.9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Another translation says, will slip up. That we don't have secure ground. When we're so many of us are longing for security and stability and confidence, when that can be found, when we're just living our life in alignment. You gain trust, respect, honor, and influence. And most importantly, you can walk closely with God. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What I wanted to primarily focus on this morning is just one psalm, Psalm 15. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you have your phone, you can pull it out. I'll also have it up on the screen. But Psalm 15, starting verse 1, says, Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? This is, this is a psalm that's asking a question, who can be close to you? Who's going to experience your power? Who's going to experience your presence? Who's going to discover the purpose that you have for them? Who's going to be close to you? God. It's like that song we were singing, that second to last one, where it's talking about the waves of the day hitting us and we're discouraged, but it says your power, your presence, strongholds break, chains break, things change in the presence of God. And the psalmist is saying, who actually gets that? Who gets to be close to God? Who gets to be on the holy hill and dwell and reside in your tent? And the verse two says, one who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. One who practices righteousness. One who walks with integrity. Maybe your translation talks about righteousness or, or walking blamelessly or purely before God, but it's all the same thing. Are you living blamelessly before God? And this isn't perfection. None of us are perfect. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the cross. And he's empowered us to live differently. But this is about are you regularly living your life in alignment? Are you trying to be the person that God says you are, that you claim to be, and that sort of thing? 
Because if we want intimacy with God, if we want to be that person who resides with the Almighty, we need to walk with integrity and practice righteousness. It says they speak truth in his heart. Verse 3, he does not slander with his tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on his friend. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. He does not lend his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. One who does these things will never be shaken. So as we talk about integrity, it's not the most fun thing to talk about. It's not the most flashy. It's not the, the, the one where they're scrolling through the titles of the messages that they're going to click. Oh, I want to I listen about to integrity today. No, we're going to click on hope and things like that, important things. But it is important that we understand who we are matters to God. The life we're choosing to live matters. And we can be totally forgiven and have relationship with him, and be one day have the promise of eternity in heaven with him, but we can still be missing out with his practical power and presence in our lives because we are not living lives of integrity. We're missing out. Old Testament says his eyes are to and fro looking for those who have hearts turned to him so that he may strengthen them. The New Testament, over and over, we see Jesus talking about it. We see Paul calling the church to live towards holiness. First Peter is all about living a holy life so that you can experience God's love in hard times. I think that's very applicable today. But I want that. I want that for me and I want that for you. I want us to have intimacy with God. I want us to not be shaken like it says in verse 5, that we can have peace and stability that we can go to bed at night not wondering if things are going to be found out, not wondering if, if this is going to fall apart because we told a half-truth there or, or what's going to happen with this situation, that we know that there's nothing that we did that would be the reason for that. So if you break down Psalm 15, he says he asks those questions in verse 1, who, who can dwell with God in his tent, who can reside with him, who can settle on the holy hill? And then he gives these eight things that marks that person. Eight things that mark integrity. I broke them into seven because one of them kind of goes together. But the first is truthful. That they, they speak the truth in their heart. That what we say matters. That we speak the truth. We tell our kids, everything you say should be true, but not everything that is true has to be said. We tell our kids that regularly. Because sometimes we have that tendency once we're learning the importance of telling the truth and that sort of thing that we just want to speak the truth all the time. And there's right times for that. And there's other times we should keep that to ourselves. But we need to be people who value truth, who, who speak it regularly, that we don't bend the truth or, or omit things for our sake or that sort of thing, that we're honest and truthful people. The second one is that we're not slandering or putting down others, that we're not uh, speaking negatively about people. Other translations begin in, in verses 2 and 3 talking about gossip or things like that, that we need to watch over our mouth, that not only what we're saying is truthful, but that it's also beneficial and helpful. Ephesians talks about let what is helpful come out of your mouth. I think that's a good filter. Is this actually helpful that I'm saying this? Is this going to help anybody? Or is it just true for the sake of being true or right for the sake of being right? Am I building others up? with my speech or am I tearing them down? An integrous life builds others up. If you want to be a man or a woman filled with integrity, we need to not speak negatively about others. The third one is you don't bring harm on those around you. It says you don't do evil to your neighbor or bring shame on your friend. That you are 
are thinking about the benefit of other people, that your life is adding good and blessing. And then it says, you, you despise what is despicable, that you, don't, you look down at what is wrong, you call evil evil and wrong wrong, that you, you don't rejoice in, in suffering or pain or things like that. You honor those who fear the Lord, like we talked about a few, week, few weeks ago, and you keep your word even if it costs you. I like that it says, take an oath even to your own detriment. Or as some of the other paraphrases say, it talks about you, you keep your word even if it's going to cost you something. That you follow through. How many of us don't necessarily follow through? So I broke those seven things into four categories. And that is really the rest of the message. So you, you guys are like, how many points are there? There's like three points and then there's seven points and then there's four points. Yeah, it was, it was kind of confusing. I kind of was just like, God, these are all the things on my heart that you've been speaking to me. I'm just going to plop them all in here and see if it makes sense. But I broke them into verbal integrity, financial integrity, relational integrity, and vocational integrity. So the first one is verbal. That's what we were just talking about, telling the truth, that you keep your word, that you don't gossip and things like that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no is repeated three times in the New Testament. James talks about it. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Paul talks about keeping your word and having your yes be yes. And they're both quoting Jesus who said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.37, he said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. In other ones, they talk about swearing on something besides you. James is talking about like, you don't need to swear on something from heaven or anything beyond that because your word should be enough. If you are a person of integrity, your word should mean something. That you don't have to call on an outside source to back it up. That you don't have to say, I swear to this or this thing, I promise, all these things. It's just my yes is yes, my no is no. I mean what I say and I say what I mean. We're, we're men and women of our word. We have verbal integrity. An example of this was uh, on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. You know how you negotiate a little bit back and forth. And sometimes you do it in person and sometimes you do it online ahead of time. Well, we had already negotiated with somebody online ahead of time who was coming to purchase something from us. And then they showed up and wanted to negotiate again. And I was like, we agreed on this already, though. Like, aren't you going to be a person of your word? And no, they weren't. And we did negotiate with them again because I'm not a good negotiator. But... The point is, we need to not be like that. We need to be people who keep our word. We need verbal integrity, that we're not gossiping, that we're telling the truth, that we're building others up, and that our yes is yes, that we're honest. The little things matter. In that sermon of the, uh, the parable of the talents, that's so famous where he says, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy you know, when he had given them all a different amount and they had done different things with it. It mentions when you were faithful with the small things. When you were faithful with the small things. And I was thinking about that this week as I was thinking about integrity and just how so often when we think of integrity, we think of those big moments, good or bad. When you did the right thing and it was like a big deal or when you know of someone else or you yourself did the wrong thing and you knew it was a mistake. We think of the big things, but integrity is often found in the little things. Maybe no one else will even know about it, right or wrong, whichever one you chose. But you know, and God knows, it's the small things where integrity is often formed or lost. We need to be people who are verbally full of integrity.
The next one is financial integrity. This comes up throughout the Bible, a lot in Proverbs. It comes up in this psalm when it talks about not charging more than you should on interest and, and not taking a bribe because it goes both ways. We can rip people off or we can get ripped off or we can take a bribe or do something we shouldn't. We need to be people of financial integrity that what we do with our money matters to God. In fact, you know, when Jesus in that same sermon where he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he said that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. That there is a connection between our valuables and our heart. That what, what we have is connected to where our heart is. And, and the point is that we can change our heart by changing where our money is. And changing where our finances is changes our heart. And so I think it's important, too, that we have financial integrity and that what we say matters to us matches what we're doing with our finances. If you say your family matters to you, but you don't spend any money on your family, your family probably doesn't matter to you that much. Or if you say the church matters to you, but you don't give as God calls you to give, it probably doesn't matter to you as much as you think it does. Or if you say that dealing with others honestly in business matters to you, but you've overbilled people on things, or you've cut corners on, on the job you were paid for, then it probably doesn't matter to you as much as you thought it did. We need to have financial integrity. We need to do what God is asking us to do with our finances. We also need vocational integrity. We need to work hard. We need to be worth the wages that we're getting paid. Um, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. This changes everything. When you're the type of person who's maybe just working when your boss is working or when you know he's going to see what you did or, or she's going to see the report you're turning in or things like that, then we're not necessarily living a life of integrity because our alignment is not true to what we believe. If we believe that we're doing this as if we're doing it for Jesus, it doesn't matter who does or doesn't see it or, or how much they see we are or aren't working. We're working for him and it matters to him how hard we work. It matters to him the job we do and how much we care about it and the excellence we bring to it. We're called to work as if we're working for God. This week we received a bill to the church. Um, an invoice came and we were billed incorrectly for the same thing multiple times in a row. So that little bit that it was off added up over and over and over. But we were undercharged. You know, we could have been like, praise God, we were undercharged. But that's not integrity. So we reached out and we're like, is this a mistake? And they said yes. And they sent us a new bill. And that's what vocational integrity or financial integrity looks like. It's understanding, hey, I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this before God. I'm doing this in front of him and for him. And these aren't our finances. These are his finances, whether it's personal or your business or things like that. The way we live matters. Relational integrity matters too. Keeping confidence. Are you a person who's willing to keep other people's secrets if they're confiding in you? That you're not going and sharing those with others. That you care about your effect on other people. That you're conscious of, of caring for them and loving them. That there's some, you're someone that they can trust and follow through with. And here's why integrity matters so much. When we're people of integrity, when we have vocational, relational, financial, and... Um, verbal integrity. We have peace. We have stability. We have confidence. 
doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out the way we exactly want it to. But it means that we're not worried about it. I heard a story this week of a guy who was asked, what was the biggest thing that changed when you started following Jesus? And he said, the way I answered the phone at work. He said, when I used to answer the phone at work, I used to have to think about who was calling me and the lies that I've told them that week, you know, because it was a different thing for everybody in the office. And I have to replay that before I answer the phone. He said, now I just answer the phone because I'm telling the truth to everybody. And that changes things. When we're people of integrity, we have peace. We can go to sleep without worrying if we're going to be found out. We don't have a guilty conscience about things. We aren't stressed out about as much. We have that foundation that won't be shaken, as it says in verse 5 of that psalm. More importantly than that, we can have a greater amount of intimacy with God. And this is one of those things that's really interesting because God loves you no matter what, and you're forgiven, period. If you've asked Jesus to come and forgive you of your sin and fill you with his spirit and believe that he died and rose again, you're given brand new life, a clean slate, forgiven. But that doesn't mean that your intimacy level is the same as everybody else's. That means you're in the family, and God loves you. He doesn't love you any more or any less. But the relational intimacy changes based on your integrity and your ability to live a life of holiness. We see this in Paul's letters over and over again. He's talking about when you pray, if you're a husband and you're praying and you don't have a right relationship with your wife, God doesn't hear that the same way. Or, or other examples of if you're not treating this person right, if you have something between you and your brother, deal with that first. Or all of these things over and over, we're like, God puts a pause and there's something that happens in that relationship where we're still connected and we're still forgiven, but we are experiencing a lack of intimacy because of our lack of integrity. That there's something connected to our holiness in his presence. And so the question then becomes, if it's for our benefit, if we're going to have peace, if we're going to have stability and confidence, if it's like Proverbs said, that it's going to be our guide, if we're going to be closer to God, if those things are all true, the question becomes, how much is my integrity worth? What will I compromise it for? Because it's easy to say I want it and it matters. It's easy to see it in other people or say that you don't see it in other people or, or want it in your other people. Like, I wish my boss had integrity or I wish this person had integrity. Integrity is so much easier to see whether it's present or not in somebody else than it is in ourselves. Because we always have an excuse for ourselves. We always have a, a pass or a reason. But the question is, what, what does your integrity cost? Does it cost not overbilling somebody on an account? Does it cost not stealing some office supplies from the office because they don't need it anyways? What is it worth to you? Because whatever you're willing to compromise your integrity for is what you think your integrity is worth. When I was in high school... I don't share this story easily. I don't actually really like this story. But um, we were in study hall, and one of my friends who knew me really well, who was not a follower of Jesus, um, kept offering me money. All I had to do was say this list of things that he wanted me to say that he knew didn't align with my heart and my positions. It wasn't even horrible stuff. It was just his whole point was to figure out this question, how much is my integrity worth? And he kept raising the amount, five bucks. Five bucks in high school, you can go get like a bagel and a drink and like some other stuff, 10 bucks. 
50 bucks. I was like, no, I'm not doing it for 50 bucks. I'm not doing it at all. It doesn't matter. And he's like, I don't believe you. He went and got some of our other friends, and he's like, will you guys chip in? They're like, we'll give you 100 bucks if you say this. And I was like, nope, it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it because the thing that's bigger than that is my relationship with God. Will God forgive me? Of course. He'll forgive me. He's quick to forgive. He loves me. But it wasn't about that. It was about compromising my integrity and not just in front of me and God, which matters most, but also in front of my friends. In that moment, looking back now, as I reflected on it as an adult, that would have changed the way they viewed me in Christianity for a long time, if not permanently. I was just reflecting on that. I didn't have that awareness as a high schooler. I was just like, it's not worth it. There was just something inside me that was like, don't do it. But looking back as an adult, I was like, man, that is, they probably remember that. Like, they probably remember that. Like, the kid who started that, like, he remembers. I, he still might not believe in Jesus, but he remembers that there was at least one Christian he went to high school with who, like, their beliefs and their behavior were in alignment. And what if, a lot of people started encountering people like that. What if your coworkers knew that was true of you? What if your friends and family who didn't know Jesus saw that our lives actually were in alignment? That hypocrite stopped being one of the top three or top ten words used to describe us as Christians. That those would be reserved for people who didn't actually know Christians. There's somebody who said, the number one reason that people who don't follow Jesus aren't following Jesus is because either A, they haven't met a Christian yet, or B, they met a Christian. We can sometimes be our own worst enemies when we don't live the life God is calling us to do. So to kind of land the plane today, and I know this is a different message, it's a little heavier, I want us to, to make this commitment that Job made. This is Job 27, verses 5 and 6. He says, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Job just made that commitment in front of his friends who were telling him just to curse God, forget it. Like if you know Job's story, everything's going horribly. And they're like, just, it's not even worth it. And he's like, no, it is. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to deny my integrity. We started reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with Judah this week. Some of you already know that because I posted it in my Instagram stories where I've told you about it because I'm super excited because I love it. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And so we started reading it with him. And early on, for those who are familiar with the story, Lucy, the youngest sibling, goes to Narnia first and she comes back. And none of her siblings believe her. And C.S. Lewis includes this little paragraph where he talks about how it would have been easier for Lucy just to say she made it up so she could get along with her siblings than it would be for her to continue to say, this really happened. And as I was reflecting on that, as we're reading it to Judah before bed, it stuck with me that night. I was thinking about how it would have been way easier for Lucy. Like her siblings gave her a really hard time. They were calling her a liar. They were wondering if she's crazy. All these things, they're like going to go to the professor. But she could have just gotten out of it if she would have just said, I made it up. But her integrity was worth it to her. There's a line that C.S. Lewis writes where he says that Lucy had a high value for the truth and she wasn't willing to compromise it to make her life easier. 
That's a paraphrase. That's not exactly, I didn't memorize the Chronicles of Narnia. But that's essentially what C.S. Lewis is saying. And what if that was true of us? That we're not willing to deny our integrity. That we would decide right now, no amount is worth it. No, whatever is going to be easier because of it isn't worth it. Because I want that stability. I want that peace. I want that, that presence. I want to be close to God. I want my life to be in alignment between my behavior and my beliefs. Let's pray. God, we cannot do this without you. We can try. We can become overly religious like the Pharisees and become all the more hypocritical because of it. Our motivations won't be right. But God, we ask that you would do something inside of us, that your spirit would continue to change us and mold us, that in the moments when we have opportunities to compromise our integrity, that you would speak to us and we would listen, that you'd give us the power, the self-control to follow through on those things. Would you make us into those people? In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that. I believe that this is not something that you can just do on your own. Maybe you can grow in it. You can get better. You can muster up some strength for it. But you cannot truly live a life of integrity the way God's calling you to, apart from his strength, apart from him sustaining it, apart from him empowering it. So the first step is to make sure you are in relationship with him. And like I mentioned earlier, relationship with him is simply coming before him and saying, I have fallen short. All of us have. If we're thinking of some of those stories from today, all of us have cut corners in some area. All of us have lied. All of us have done something to fall short of God's standard. But the good news is that Jesus came, didn't fall short of that standard, live a perfect, blameless life, and took our place and our punishment for our sin. That he died on the cross and rose again on the third day so that we could have brand new life with God. And the scripture says that whoever believes in him and confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, will be saved. You'll be adopted into the family of God. So if that's you today, I want to pray with you and just pray that God would forgive you and give you brand new life. Let's pray together. God, would you forgive me of my sin and my shortcomings? Would you fill me with your spirit? I believe Jesus came and died for me so that I could have new life with you. I'm choosing to follow you from this day forward. I'm changing my direction. There's no looking back. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of us who've already made that decision to follow Jesus and, and be part of his family, I just want us to reflect this week and ask God to change us. I don't know about you, but maybe there was a moment of conviction. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction is just saying, I feel that. I fell short in this moment. God, please forgive me. He forgives you. We need to move on. If you continue to feel that, that's not of him. Shame is not of him. You just go before him and say, God, would you just totally remove that? Thank you for a clean slate with you. And then for all of us, would you help us, God, to be those people? Would you help us to live lives of integrity? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.